everybody. Welcome to Q. That's my very favourite song. If it was up to me, we'd only sing that song every week until every one of you fully understands it and gets the transformation that comes from that understanding. Um, I think the subject matters we've been dealing with the last couple of weeks at Q on a on a Sunday, and also for those of you who have missed it, the, um, the Wednesday nights have been outstanding as we've looked at the essence of God, the nature of God, who God is. And part of that flows on tonight because we want to talk a little bit about words. And uh, you're going to see a bit more of me tonight than, than usual. I hope that's okay. Uh, it's interesting that the Bible launches its, its contribution to the understanding of the divine with these words in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form, it was void, it was empty, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said... And stuff happened. See, words are more than just the shaping of sound with the lips and the tongue. They are much, much more than simply that. I think all of us are consciously aware of the power of words. Or or would it be fairer to say the power within words? We're all consciously aware of the power within words. Every single one of us, our lives have been impacted and shaped by the words that we have heard and the words that we have spoken. What's interesting about words is that words are the product of the exhalation of breath. You can't speak a word without the exhalation of breath and 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 the Bible, in its, in its ancient context, ties together breath and spirit are one word in Hebrew, ruach. They are one word in Greek, pneuma. Because when you breathe, something of your spirit goes with the breath. So when you speak a word, your word is not just the shape of your tongue and your lips. You are actually releasing something that is spirit, which is why words are so very, very powerful. I would say that words have probably contributed more in the shaping of our ultimate reality than anything else. I like the words in that song that really summarize this in God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time, with no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light, power of words, and as you speak, A hundred billion galaxies are born. Now, whatever your view of creation is, and my view of creation is not the conventional view of creation, that in six literal days, God made things in six literal days. That's not my view. But I do believe that at the core of the whole process is this something that initiated it. And I happen to believe that it's the power of the word. It's as you speak, and that's the breath, and that's the spirit, and it's the essence of all that God the divine is. It says, in the vapor of your breath, the planet form. God, have you promised you don't speak in vain? No syllable empty or void, bear that in mind. 
For once you have spoken, all nature and science follow the sound of your voice. And this is what I love. And as you speak, a hundred billion creatures don't catch their breath. A hundred billion creatures catch your breath. Now here's the problem. We are so self-obsessed that all we are concerned with is the thing that catches our breath when we need to become obsessed with catching the breath of the divine, the breath that formed the universe, the breath that put the planets in place is the very breath that we can breathe and then into us comes that same word that created everything. And it means everything then is evolving in pursuit of what God said. So if this is true, tonight is a little bit about what are the implications of that on our lives. It's um, interesting tonight because we've had my favourite song and uh, also my favourite movie, Talladega Nights, Legend of Ricky Bobby. If you haven't watched it, you should watch it and then you'll think I'm totally crazy or you'll share my, you'll share my sense of humour. I thought the clip that, that uh, was put together is a great summary of the film of uh, how Ricky's dad turns up. I love the bit about how long's it been. You know, three, three or four months, ten years. But um, uh, the reason we put that together was because it's so interesting, the, the whole thing of how young Ricky, when his dad comes in, is, builds his whole life around something that his dad says in one moment when he's ten years old, even though his dad was high when he said it. Those words carry something with them that are very powerful that have shaped his life it was the words, if you, if you ain't first, you're last. Which, um, and then of course he says that I live my whole life based on that. And then when he realises how he's based his whole life on what's been said to him, he says, now what the hell am I supposed to do? And I think for all of us, there are times in our life when we have built our life on things that have been said, and, and not only things that have been said to us, but things that we have said to ourselves. In fact, I think we often look for someone to blame in our outer world for the words that have impacted us, but most of the words that truly shape our lives are words that we speak to ourselves. Now, you appreciate they've been shaped by various influences, but the power of those words means just like Ricky, you can find yourself later on in life having based your whole life on some words that you spoke to yourself or something that someone said that now you find are not all that they ought to be. And I love what his dad says, you know, Ricky says, I live my whole life based on that. Now what the hell am I supposed to do? And his dad said, well, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? And that's not in the Bible, but I would say, well, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? What are you supposed to do when you find yourself in that place? Now, whether you believe scripture or not, and I, I actually think scripture is is better than it has been presumed to be. I think the worst understanding of Scripture is to make it a constitutional document of God trying to control humanity. That's the worst thing you can do with Scripture. But if you release it to be 
a record of a conversation that has been going on from the foundation of time that's based around humanity's sincere and deep desire to understand what's all this about and if there is a God, who is God? If there is a divine, who is the divine? How does all this happen? How does all this work? Then you will have a far more accurate understanding of the objective of what Scripture is trying to do that we, in our stream, call the Bible. And I love the way that the ancients address it, just in the space of two verses. They obviously weren't necessarily preachers because they were able to say in two verses... What most of us preachers would need two hours to say when he said, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was empty, it was without form, and it was dark. That's the way of saying there was all kinds of chaos going on, some darkness where you couldn't see, some stuff that wasn't happening, some, 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 some emptiness that wasn't getting filled. And, and it simply summarizes that by, by saying that, that, that the Spirit of God or the breath of God hovered over it all. So in one verse, it's given us pretty much, right at the very beginning, the key to how things change and how things become. That's why it starts with, in the beginning, God created. Now, you would think, for some of you, when you've heard the expression of the Christian gospel, that actually it's the opposite. In the beginning, God destroyed, because it seems so hell-bent on having a hell where people get destroyed. It seems to be so focused on who is excluded rather than who is included, which does not follow the reality of what the ancients were conveying and saying, if you understand the divine, you understand that creation happens. And creation happens to bring light to darkness, to bring something to nothingness, to bring order to chaos. And it all happens because there is breath over it all. And when... When we breathe in the breath, when we catch his breath, it says, and God breathed, it says, and, and, and God said. And the moment it says God said, it, it says things started to happen. Let there be. God said, let there be. Now the issue of that is to me, that whether you believe scripture or not, there can be no doubt that words create. And because we have the same breath... The same breath that was breathed into the nothingness that created the universe is the same breath that you and I breathe and that breath is the essence of God. That breath is spirit and that breath is the spirit of God. It comes into you and when you speak, your words carry that same energy to create that God's words carried in the beginning. That's why sticks and stones may break my bones but words will really hurt me. How many of you ever taught that nonsense that said, oh, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt me? That is a lie. Every one of us know it's a lie, but we try to make ourselves feel better by, by disregarding what has happened to us when actually the most powerful creative force in the universe that creates your world is your words. You are creating your world with the words that you speak in the same way that God was creating the world. Our words create. They are not just a sound, our words create. So my second question is this, do we then live within a world 
that our own words have created. Thanks, Danny. Um, yeah, I just want to say a, a couple of words about a letter that we've been passing out. If you haven't had one, please make sure you get one from, uh, from the stewards, or we've got some at the front if you haven't had one, that just, um, just re relates to the giving that wonderfully supports this house and this ministry and all that we do and how we reach out and what enables us to be who we are. Now, I opted not to script any of this because um, I thought it's far better to speak from the heart. Um, the reason we elected as directors, and, and that's uh, Mick Fox and Pete Condy and Jenny Flintoff and Jenny Byrne and Chris and myself and still Graham Byrne, incidentally Graham and Eileen, Graham Grant, sorry, put Graham there. Uh, Graham, the Grants will be back in a couple of weeks for, to be with us over Christmas, so look forward to that. Graham's still a director, so he's also part of our uh, decision-making process. The reason we elected to, um, to give you a letter was because we felt that that would be the, mo the least intrusive way of raising the issue that, first of all, we exist and we survive uh, totally on charitable donations, i.e. your giving, that we do not get any external funding. And uh, I think it's been absolutely amazing what we've been able to do over all these years just by that, just by your giving, just by your generosity, uh, just by your living up to that and helping us to be who we are and to do what we need to do. So we felt the letter would be the least intrusive way. There are two reasons for that. One is because we did not want to take a, a Sunday afternoon to take the whole evening to bombard you on the subject of, of giving. Um, I grew up in, in cultures that were a bit like that. Chris and I were recently in Salt Lake when the whole Sunday morning service was taken up by pressuring people to give because they were looking to raise, along with their mother church in California, $26 million to build a new ministry center or a new church building, and the whole of the hour was taken up by that. Now, uh, we in the past, those of you who have been here for a long time, will remember occasionally we would bring in somebody like Bob Seymour from Canada, and Bob would do several nights teaching on biblical principles of giving, all of which I agree with, but as our culture has changed and as our demographic has changed, we have become more and more uncomfortable with that kind of approach. And I have two reasons for that. Uh, number one is because we don't want you to give out of a sense of condemnation. And I can interpret the Bible in ways that will deeply condemn you if you don't give your money. And uh, those methods have been used, and sometimes you watch TV and various things, they are still used, which is basically, this is what God demands of you. If you don't do that, you are robbing God, and if you're robbing God, you're under a curse, and if you're under a curse, your life is not going to go well, so give. So that's one reason we don't want to do that. The other one is I can preach just as equivalently for quite some time about how if you want your life to be blessed and if you want to see multiplication, then that will only come to you if you give and if you give in a certain way. So, so we, we preached more from a legalistic viewpoint 
the biblical concept of tithing, which is giving a tenth of one's income. Now, Chris and I, in case you're thinking, you know, uh, walk the walk, don't talk the talk, Chris and I have always given 10% of our gross income and more to the work of the ministry just because we believe in what's happening and the responsibility from there has not been ours. We just wanted to do what we felt was appropriate and felt the system that God spoke to the ancient Israelites was quite fair actually because it meant everybody proportionately was given the same. Now, one could argue that 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 is not a demand and I would agree that it's not a legal requirement, and I would agree, but what it does is it sets the benchmark extremely fair for everybody who benefits from and participates within. Everybody's on an equal playing field because we're all doing the same, and I know that the guys uh, who are leading you um, all lead by example, not just by talk, and I honour them and bless them for that. Now, I also know that there are many people in here you were raised with these principles and you have all your life uh, without question just done that because you believed it was the right thing to do. The reason we opted for the letter is because I'm at a stage in my understanding and belief that I don't want anybody to give out of condemnation. I only want you to give out of love. The question therefore is one, do you love us and do you love what we're trying to do and do you love who we are enough to be a partner in that process. If you do, we'd love you to be because we need you because there can come a point. I I appreciate there are some of us of a generation where we were raised to give. There can come a point where you turn up and the doors are not open and the heating's not on and nobody's getting touched because money makes the world go round. Whether we like it or not, money is still important. And I also believe when Jesus said that give and it will be given unto you, And with the measure that you give is the measure that you'll receive. I believe that's been a principle that we have lived by and that we have endured by. And this house has lived by that as we have given. Uh, And we've touched a lot of people. We've reached a lot of places. Now, another thing you may say is, well, you know, part of modern thinking is I'd love to give, but I want to know what I'm giving to. In other words, I don't want to give to repair buildings. I don't want to give to pay electricity and gas bills. I don't want to give to buy instruments. I don't want to give to run an office. I don't want to give anything that does the fabric. I just want to give to something. Well, the truth is, all charities will tell you none of that other stuff happens unless there's a vehicle through which it can happen. And I I spoke to a friend of mine who was a large supporter of a big ministry called uh, Christ for All Nations. And in all the money that was coming in, their headquarters was crumbling to the ground, in desperate state, almost of being condemned. And why was that? Because everybody wanted to give to the crusade in Africa, but nobody wanted to give to what it was that allowed the crusade in Africa to be a crusade in Africa. So I appreciate, and we're very honest about this, that we have a, we have a structural system that has to run in order for everything else that we do, whether it's in India, in York, in the schools, or whatever to happen, it has to come from here. And one of our major choices has been to invest in people So our staff, you could argue, is way too large for the size of church that we are, and I would agree, if we're talking about pro rata staff, but if we're talking about people who have value and add value and bring ministry to the city and serve something in some way that is very powerful, I love every one of them, and every one of them is worth their weight in gold. We'd like to continue. We'd like to continue at the level that we are 
We may not be able to if we don't understand. So we've not bothered you with this. I've not bothered you with this for a long time. We have believed God and we're still believing God and we have moved on. But there comes a time where we have to say, if we're partners together in receiving, we have to be partners together in giving. And I appreciate that many of you give time and that's wonderful. Um, But time doesn't always pay the bills. And we've grown in an era where we gave time and whatever we needed to do. I appreciate that. That's not belittling anybody's gift. I have absolute gratefulness, but we need the whole thing to flow together. So I hope you're okay with that. As I said, we felt it was the least intrusive way of raising with you that we want to carry on, but we don't want to take great swathes of time either A, to condemn you, or B, to make false promises to you. We just want to appeal to your heart and say, if you love who we are and you're part of who we are, then we want you to continue to invest into who we are so we can continue to invest into the world because people quote from the Bible that, that, that uh, yeast, you know, yeast that makes bread rise, that corrupts it, that yeast was sin and sin corrupts the world. But Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that's put into the dough. And actually the kingdom of heaven corrupts or infects and infests when it's put into the door. We want to continue to do that to the best of our ability, to the greatest extent that we can, with the best skills that are available. So that's why we sent you the letter and we hope you'll be with us to keep us going for a lot longer yet for generations to come. So my hope tonight is that some of you can write the sign with different words. Um... It's interesting, my, my favourite, probably my favourite uh, writer in the, in the Bible text is, is a guy called John. Uh, I guess I like John because he's a bit more kind of floaty in his thinking a lot of the time, and I'm a bit floaty in my thinking. And uh, he pictures and draws things and then puts them beautifully into words. And, and um, when he... When he Whoever wrote John's gospel down, actually, in written text that came from understanding John as a, a man, it's interesting because, because John in the New Testament of the Bible mirrors Genesis in the Old Testament of the Bible. In, in Genesis 1, the old writer said, in the beginning, God created. And John says, in the beginning was the Word. See, he's caught it. It's the same thing. The breath that speaks the Word but it's the word that comes from the breath that creates the world. If we believe that our breath is the very breath of God, remember we talked last week about, we breathe in God, we breathe out God. It's the first thing a baby does when it comes into the world. It's the last thing a person does when they leave the world. We breathe the name of God. If, if we understand and believe that, then, then what John says becomes a reality for us because he says what was happening in the beginning was, was word and that word was with God, it was God and, and that word became flesh and it lived among us and, and my desire is that instead of your words looking like the devil that you fear, your word needs to look like the Jesus who God sent who loves because that's what Jesus was about. He was about what the words look like when they turn up in human flesh and it brings something into the world that is created that releases health and life and and all kinds of weird thing happens. When the word becomes flesh, people walk on water. 
Now, I've walked on water. I have. I don't mean the River Ouse or, or the North Sea, but I can tell you in my life there's been plenty of water that I could have sunk underneath and I could have drowned without a trace, but by the power of that word, I was able to walk on that water. I've, I've stopped some storms by the words of my mouth because instead of being intimidated and dominated by what was threatening me I've spoken peace to it I've spoken shalom to it from the breath that I've breathed in and then peace has come and the the storm has settled I've had coins in fish's mouth without ever going fishing for a coin because it never looked like a fish. But just like the story of Peter and the taxes and financial miracles and the money being there because somehow a coin fell out of a fisherman's pocket one day out in the Sea of Galilee that started to sink down and a fish was swimming by and the fish swallowed the coin and then the fish swam with the coin in its belly until a time when a guy called Peter went down of fishing and that fish was in that place at that time when he lowered his hook when they needed to pay their taxes and he caught the fish with the coin in its mouth I've I've been in all of those miracles because that's what word looks like when it becomes flesh and it's what is the promise to you to understand that same breath that was in Jesus the word made flesh is the same breath of God in you becomes the word made flesh and we create the world through our words. Now, I know you have to live in your world because some of you think if we create the world through our words, how come bad stuff happens? Because you still have to live in the world that was created by the word. There's another verse in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament that says that he sustains all things by the power of his word. Or in other things, it's all held together by word. Do you know why so often our life is not held together? Because it's not held together by word. It's not sustained by the breath and the word and the talk. So all the negativity, all the condemnation, all the judgment, all the nonsense that we repeat to ourselves, not good enough, not loved, etc., 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 too heavy, too thin, whatever, never have enough, are all words and we are speaking those and they're creating a world. See, here's how it works. It starts with presence. The breath over the waters and that becomes spirit and spirit becomes breath and breath becomes words and words become worlds you see you don't have to start this because the presence that starts the process is not your being present it's God it's the divine being present his breath being the thing when you realize that you realize you receive his spirit and his spirit is his breath and his breath becomes his words that become your words that become the worlds that we then create if we really believe that this is the essence and power of words beyond mere mental acknowledgement What might that mean for each of us in practical terms? I know there's not one of you in here that wouldn't deny that words are powerful. But never stop for two minutes to think about the words that you're speaking. 
So you say, yes, words are powerful. Words can destroy lives. Words can bless. And then you'll go out of here and you'll immediately start to talk about what you don't have, who you're not, what's not working, how it isn't happening, how bad it is, why not. And all of those words that you said you believe change things, you have absolutely zero intention of changing those words to reflect the breath, to reflect the word made flesh living among us. But you have the right, the ability, the power, to do that starting this moment. Now always remember you can't take back a single word that you say. How many of you ever had somebody say, oh, I'm sorry, I take that back? I love watching the American uh, uh, crime dramas when the lawyer will stand up and say something and the opposing lawyer will say objection and the, the lawyer who said it says withdrawn. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, but you said it. They can't be withdrawn. You did that deliberately. And you're saying withdrawn means nothing because now that word is out there. You can't take back a single word that you say. So be careful what you say. Now, sometimes talks like this don't go down too well. For this reason, it puts a responsibility upon us, the individual, to have to actually respond in a certain way. Remember the breathing is involuntary. You don't choose to breathe, nor do you choose to breathe in the breath that comes from God. It's in your lungs. But how you shape that coming out is determined by your tongue and your lips. And the truth is our tongue and our lips can be the most violent contributor to our downfall or to our building that is in our lives. Your lips and your tongue become your part of the equation. The breath is not yours. The breath is God's breath in you. It's good breath. It's breath that brings life. But the tongue and the lips shape what that breath is going to say like the rudder of a ship. Possibly the most powerful words anyone can ever speak are the words, I am. I am. <laughs> yeah, right, Georgia. See, these words connect us powerfully to the source of our being. It's what, it's what the God who turned up to talk to a guy called Moses said when he said, who shall I tell the people is sending me? And, and this guy said, I am. What, what a strange thing to say. But you see, the issue was don't get hung up on a title. Get hung up on the presence, on the being, on the existence. I am is not a title. I am is a statement of existence. It's a statement of being. And when our being connects with that being, something happens. Because you see, there's a reason you were not called a human doing. It's not an accident. That you were not called a human doing, you were called a human being. Being is something very different to doing. Being is an existent, it's an in the moment, it's a presence. So here's the deal, if God is being, I am, and you are a human being, the point at which your humanity and his divinity meet together to produce life is when you embrace the being. I am. So stop saying I am overweight. I am a failure. I am not good enough to get that job. I am too damaged. All the time you're saying, this is my being. And start to begin to speak. I am the breath of God. I am the word of God. I am the life of God. 
I am the love of God. Begin to speak that word and see what world you then begin to create because they are the core existent. The, 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 the words I am are the core of the existent divine, the preferred expression on the one known as the word and the dictator of all the mental and emotional states that humanity experiences. Because all of our words flow from within that I am. So let me finish here. So if the words you speak create the world in which you live, for God's sake, speak life. Let me just pray for you. Father, in this place tonight, I know that there have been many who have been damaged by words spoken to them and by words spoken from them. But thank you for the breath that comes from the divine that has within it the very thing that brought a billion stars into being. And as we engage that breath, I pray tonight that our lips and our tongue will begin to speak words that are worthy of that breath that has come into us, that declaration of the I am that brings our being to connect with your being so that something amazing can happen. Chaos turned to order, darkness turned to light, nothingness turned to somethingness. So help us tonight to speak life.